Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there. You know, the book of Romans is considered to be the best, most concise presentation of the gospel in all the New Testament. Interesting, I think, that it includes the most thorough treatment of God's dealings with the people of Israel and how the church should relate to them. I wonder why the Apostle Paul thought that was so fundamental to include in his book to Romans. Well, stick with me and we're going to learn why. So welcome to Walk Through the Bible. This is week 49, and this week we are reading in the Daily Bible the dates of December the 3rd through the 9th, or that would be pages number 1546 to 1581. Now, let's review where we are. Last week we talked about Paul's three missionary journeys, And uh, on his third missionary journey, he spent a year and a half in Corinth, and he longs to go to Rome one day. But in the meantime, he writes his longest letter in the New Testament to that early church in Rome. Now, due to the very unique situation in Rome, he addresses and expounds, expounds on some fundamentals of the faith. So the book of Romans, uh, the first 11 chapters, you could say, are doctrinal, and the last five chapters are how to apply that. There's other ways you can divide the book uh, into some subcategories, but that's basically the overall, these first 11 chapters being uh, doctrinal. So the first eight chapters of Roman um, really lay out the presentation of the gospel. And, uh, you know, I, I would say that uh, after we finish our walk through the entire New Testament, you might want to go back and study one book a little bit more. I would really recommend it be the book of Romans. Uh, it's phenomenal. And in fact, if I had to choose one book of the, of the New Testament, that if we could only keep one book, what would that book be? And it would be a really hard toss-up between a gospel, because we want to read the story about Jesus's life and ministry. But in terms, in addition to a gospel, I would say the book of Romans. You can't get better than the book of Romans. And um, so the book of Romans actually contains such a great presentation of the gospel all in one book that it's called the Roman road or the Romans road. And this is a presentation of the gospel only using scriptures from this one book, which makes it easier when sharing with someone uh, that you can just go through all in uh, one book. So quickly, Romans uh, 1 through 8 presents this gospel. So Romans 1 through 3 starts with a description of how that we are all under condemnation Uh, that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And he specifically talks about some groups of people, but the message is that we were all destined for hell. We're all condemned 
uh, to die. And then in chapters four through five, he begins to talk about how that we are justified through Christ. And this is a little bit different. Justification is a little bit different than atonement that we had in the law. So in the law, you would sacrifice an animal and place the hands on it. And this sacrifice was like a covering for your sin. That was atonement is a a covering for your sin. But Jesus's death didn't just cover the sin. It threw it away. It got rid of it. It was as though it had never happened. And that's justification. And once we are justified, that sin is gone. We are justified. Then we are in right standing with God, which means righteousness. So righteousness is right standing with God. And in that right standing then um, is because the justification of Christ. And then in chapters six through eight, he talks about sanctification. So therefore, because we've been justified, we are now right with God. We are in a the right position. How do we now uh, live this out? And um, and so, how are we sanctified? Sanctification is that process of living righteously. And so, Paul explains that we must yield ourselves to God and obey Him. And uh, here in Romans 8, we have that famous verse. We all know it. We all quote it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So uh, chapters 1 through 8, there is so much material there. There is so much we could talk about, but I'm going to keep moving on. Uh, because this brings us to chapters 9 through 11. And I will say that there is very little teaching out there on Romans 9 through 11. And I found it, I find it astounding. But um, part of the problem is because this is some of the most complex theological chapters or verses in the entire New Testament. So it could be that that's why our pastors and teachers stay away from it. It is difficult. It's difficult to understand. And um, maybe, though, there's a lack of interest. This is about the Jews and Israel. So why do we as the church need to grapple with this? And so it's overlooked. It's overlooked in seminaries. It's overlooked in Bible colleges. It's overlooked in sermons. And, um, you know, I, I can tell you, uh, our organization does an annual uh, pastor's conference in Jerusalem. And one year I was helping to lead a pastor's tour from the United States that was in Israel and uh, took place, uh, took in that conference. And one of the conference speakers is a Christian leader that lives there uh, in Israel And uh, he did a whole hour-long teaching out of Romans 11. He just walked through Romans 11 from the first verse to the last verse. And after it was over, we were having lunch, and one of the American pastors that was traveling with us looked at me with these huge eyes, and he said, did you already know this? Because I've never heard it before. And I thought, how many 
of our leaders are that way because the seminaries didn't teach it. And Paul thought that Romans 9 through 11 was of fundamental importance, and he included it in Romans. So let's take a look at it. These verses, 9 through 11, deal with Paul's view, his own view of his own people, the Jewish people, and of God's view of the Jewish people, God's unending love for the Jewish people, and the apostles' vision of harmony between Jews and Christians in the church, in Messiah. And um, so I said earlier that it's a very complex part of the New Testament, but a lot of the confusion comes because we try to read these chapters from the 21st century Western Christian perspective. We don't put ourselves in Paul's shoes and read it through the eyes of a Jewish apostle. Uh, look, Paul was not just Jewish. He was of the zealous Jews. He had been trained uh, in the law. He was a devout, zealous follower of the God of Israel, but he was the apostle to the Gentiles and had been given this revelation um, of the, the way the Gentiles fit into this and how the two should work together. And um, so when we put ourselves in Paul's position and read what he's writing from where we think he stood, it begins to come together. And so I hope that our time together today uh, will help clarify it for you. A little bit of background to the book of Romans to understand why Paul addressed this in chapter 9 through 11. So we think Paul wrote this book somewhere around 58 AD. And um, the emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome in the last years of his life. So um, probably beginning around um, uh, 53 AD, um, he died in 54 AD, so somewhere between 50, 54, um, the Jews were persecuted, they were kicked out, and then after his death, they were gradually able to begin returning. Well, as they re what happened here is the church in Rome that had been started by Jewish believers in Jesus that understood the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, the law, they understood all of this preparation for Jesus's coming. They understood who Jesus was. And then Gentiles had started joining the church. But then when the Jews were kicked out of Rome, all of a sudden the whole church is Gentile. They didn't have the benefit of that Jewish background to understand what this church was all about. They become the leaders of the church. And then after four or five years, Jewish believers in Jesus began trickling back to Rome and coming back into the church. So now these Jews are coming into a mainly Gentile church. Therefore, the Gentiles that were leading the church in Rome had come to the conclusion, it seems, that the Jews had been judged by God. And that's why they had been kicked out. That's why that they were uh, wandering and that developed the, the belief that uh, maybe the Jews had been replaced by the church. 
and the plans of God. Now, um, when the Jews begin returning now to Rome, they're treated as second-class citizens inside the church. And um, so this was a real a problem. And when Paul found out about this, he felt the need to write and to address it. And um, so the early church in Rome started out Jewish, then became a mix of Jews with Gentiles, then became all Gentile, and now is becoming a mix of Gentile with a few Jews. So much of Romans is dealing with this, uh, even in chapter 1, uh, much less chapter 9 through 11, and then even later in chapter 15, where he's focusing on convincing the Romans that um, the Jews are still called by God, that uh, they can be grafted back in to the olive tree and to the body of Christ. They are dearly beloved of the Lord, and that at the end time gathering, they're going to bring a, a world revival. So we're going to go over these scriptures. Um, but this is why Paul was writing this to the Romans. So let's start now with Romans 9. Um, Paul opens up of how sorrowful he is for the sake of his people, and he wishes that they were saved because they have this special place in God. And he describes this special place here in verses 4 through 5, uh, speaking of the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So they have this special place. All of these things have been given to the Jewish people and through the Jewish people to the world and here to the early believers. So this is a very special place in God that they have. And he says, so whose fault is it that uh, they're now finding themselves outside of the faith, the righteousness that comes by faith? He says, is it God's fault? Is it the Word's fault? And he says, no, because God has always worked with a remnant. And he goes through history and he shows how that God didn't always work through all of Israel but a remnant of Israel. And he shows how that he, through Abraham, Abraham had many sons, but God chose to go to continue the line through Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, but God chooses to continue the line through Jacob. And um, even in the time of Elijah, where Elijah says, Lord, am I the only one left? And God says, no, there's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. There's always this remnant of the holy ones. And so Paul is saying it's no different now. And, um, and he says that it's God's right to show mercy on who he wants to show mercy on. It's God's right that uh, to withhold wrath to give time to actually be able to show mercy. And then he quotes the prophet Hosea to show something that is a key principle in Romans 9 through 11. Hosea 2, verse 23. 
speaking here of the Jewish people, of course, God is saying, I will plant her for myself in the land. Clearly, this is talking about the Jewish people. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So this is saying that the people of God who had become rejected, called not the people of God, that God had brought them back. And once again, they were the people of God. So this principle of the people of God becoming not the people of God and then being brought back to be once again the people of God. So Paul goes on to say, what shall we say? That the Gentiles found righteousness by faith, but the Jews didn't? He said, well, they stumbled over the the cornerstone. And he quotes once again from Psalm 118 that they had rejected the chief cornerstone. Now keep going now into Romans 10. Don't stop. Don't stop the train of thought. It keeps going. He says, so, you know, it's not that the law was bad. It's the law pointed to Jesus. It's that the righteousness by faith in Jesus could not come from the law. And then another key verse here, um, chapter 10, verse 4. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, the word culmination here, um, some teachers have really taken this to mean something it doesn't mean, that Christ is the end of the law, that the law is done and finished and over with. That's not what it means. It's the Greek word telos, and it means that the uh, Christ was the focal point of the law. It was the purpose of the law. It was what the law was pointing to. It was the end point of the law. So the law, remember we talked last week, the law was our guardian. It was our teacher to keep us until Christ came. So here it's saying the law was to prepare us. It was to lead us to Christ. And um So then he quotes some of the prophets of the Old Testament to show that God always intended to go to the Gentiles, that Gentiles would be brought in. And this brings us now to Romans 11. And once again, continue the thought. Don't stop it. So he says, so because God was going to go to the Gentiles, because um, of all of this, did God reject his people? By no means. God did not reject his people. And this is where he tells the story about Elijah, that there was always a remnant. And then in verse 5, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. So what then? Israel did not attain what she had sought. The remnant did but the rest were hardened. And now we get into the core of what we need to talk about, starting here with verse 11. So again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. He'd already said they stumbled over the stone that they had rejected, right? So he's asking here, so did they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? Absolutely not. 
Rather, because of their transgression, because of their stumble, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Let's stop here. Paul is saying that their stumble caused the gospel to go to the Gentiles. That that's why we have to, we have to stop and think about this for a minute. If the Jewish people had accepted Jesus as Messiah, then Christianity would have stayed as a sect of the Jewish religion. It would have never gone out to the nations, except through maybe the synagogues, as I said, were spread throughout the Roman world. But uh, it would have maintained; it would have re- ma- remained as a part of the Jewish religion because of their rejection. It now had gone out to the Gentile world. So you and I can be grateful for this. And this is the principle that Paul is describing here. And he's saying that if their rejection brought this great blessing to the Gentiles and to the world, what is going to be the riches of their full inclusion? So this is the first inclination that actually there's a day in the future where the Jewish people are in full going to be included back into uh, the believing body. So we'll come to that in just a minute. Um, now, he's describing how uh, about the branches and the tree. This takes us into uh, verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So Paul's message to the Gentiles in the Church of Rome is very clear. Do not be arrogant or haughty or superior to the Jewish people. You need to be uh, more cognizant of the fact that they are supporting you. Their root is supporting you and that you are only being engrafted into this tree because of faith. 
And so Paul then says something very interesting here about considering the kindness of God. And then he says, kindness to you, provided you continue in kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. My friends, this is a very interesting and clear warning that if we do not have kindness towards the Jewish people, the the branches of this olive tree, that we could also be cut off. There is judgment. And that is very much in keeping with previous scriptures in the Old Testament. Genesis 12, that, you know, if he will curse those that curse the descendants of Abraham. And uh, so it's very in keeping with the um, requirements in the Old Testament. And um, here in this verse, it says that, provided that you continue in his kindness. I just want to point out that in the original Greek, the word his is not there. So it's actually saying continue in kindness. You continue in kindness to them, never so that you will not be cut off. And at this point, Paul then begins to talk about the future. Verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, I want to stop right here. Uh, This is another translation issue that changes the meaning of the verse. And so on the screen, I have marked through in this way, and I have written in, and so. The new international version that I'm using here uh, says, in this way, but it changes the meaning of the verse. The new King James Version and most other versions say, and so, all Israel will be saved. So what's the controversy here? Paul saying that Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And then all Israel will be saved, which means it started with Israel. Some of them have been hardened. The Gentiles are coming in. And then when that's over, the hardening will be lifted and all Israel will be saved and brought in. This agrees with his earlier verse about the full inclusion. But in the NIV, they have worded it in such a way that it sounds like the church is Israel. It's a replacement theology. It says that there's a hardening in part to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way, all Israel is saved. You see the difference? That it's the Gentiles coming in. When that ends, then it's over. All Israel has been saved. Paul, I believe, is talking about another step in the process. And so then all Israel will be saved because the hardening in part is temporary. He says it's only until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Then the hardening is over. It's gone and they're going to come in. And then he quotes um, the Old Testament to support uh, what he's saying here, that the deliverer 
will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take their sins. I take away their sins. So Paul's saying God has promised to take away the godlessness from Jacob, from the Jewish people. And this is his covenant with them that he will take away their sins. So therefore, this and so all Israel will be saved is talking about Jacob when God removes the godlessness from Jacob. This is what Paul is saying clearly. It's very clear. And so I do not agree with the NIV translation here. Continuing on, as for the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Now, we started out today in Romans 9, where Paul talks about this special place that the Jewish people have, that they have been given the covenants, the promises, that they are of the patriarchs, that they birthed the Messiah, all this. It's a very special place, and he confirms it here. That calling cannot be revoked. So if you've heard that God revoked the calling on the Jewish people, he's replaced them with the church, Paul's saying it can't be revoked. They still hold that special place. And he says, yes, and the large part, they may be enemies of the gospel today, but they are loved on account of the patriarchs, God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, all of them. And therefore, these gifts and this call is irrevocable. God is not going to go against his word. He's not going to go against his promises. He's not going to go against what he told the prophets. He's not going to do it. It's irrevocable. And then Paul wraps it up with this beautiful thought. He says, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. So the point is this, my friend. We were enemies of the gospel. He said so clearly in Romans chapter 1 through 3. We were enemies. The enemies are uh, the Jews are now the enemies. It just puts us all in the same box so that God can have mercy on all of us. It puts us on equal footing. We have no right to be proud or arrogant or haughty. We were just as disobedient and just as much an enemy of the gospel as anyone. So God's putting us all on the same footing. We're all disobedient so that we can all receive his wonderful mercy. And at this point, at the end of chapter 11, the Apostle Paul breaks out into praise. And he praises the Lord for his mighty ways that are so far above our ways and his thoughts so far above ours. We should also break out into praise. So let me just summarize what we've read here and uh, our reading this week. I, first of all, I'm so thankful 
that this situation happened in Rome so that the Apostle Paul had to write this epistle to Rome and explain this role between Jews and Christians because otherwise there's really nothing in the New Testament that explains it as clearly and as fully as this passage. Now, this is a summary of the passage that the Jewish people have a special place in God and are loved on account of God's promises to the patriarchs and through the Hebrew prophets. They still have this place because the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Today, now, there is a holy remnant of the Jewish people that have followed Christ, but the rest have been hardened, and they may be seen as enemies of the gospel, just as you and I were enemies of the gospel. But this just allowed the Gentiles to come to become a part of the people of God. It has put us all into the disobedient category so we can all receive mercy and put us on an equal footing. Because we already received of God's kindness, we should be kind to his people Israel. Because this hardening, it's only in part, and it is only until a certain day when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When that hardening lifts, and all Israel is saved, just as God has promised to do, to remove godlessness from Jacob, it'll be for the world as life from the dead. We're talking about global revival, a global blessing, as though it's life from the dead. This is the message of Romans 9 through 11, and it is fundamental to our faith to understand this role of Israel and the Jewish people and how we should relate to them because if we don't get it right, the Apostle Paul warned us, we could be cut off because of it. Now, after the Apostle Paul has finished 11 chapters of this magnificent presentation of the gospel and God's dealings with Israel and the Jewish people and the church, he then says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, yourselves, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now that you've read this in context, you get the power of it. And of course, beginning here with chapter 12, the, the Apostle Paul begins to kind of summarize wrap this up, and apply it to our practical daily lives. So as you read through Romans this week, I hope that you will uh, enjoy it, that you'll be blessed by it, and that you will not be ignorant of this mystery, my friends, so that you would be conceited that Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. That is a great day we look forward to. It'll be a blessing to the whole world. So may you be blessed this week as you read God's Word. And until I see you back here next week, God bless.
We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.